spine tingling, hair raising, bone chilling, and superstitious greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. Welcome to bonus episode number 16. It is Friday the 13th, baby. Woo! Yeah. So today's not only Friday the 13th, but it's October Friday the 13th. We are in complete spooky ass season, my friends, and I am absolutely soaking in and loving every single second of it. For people like me, Friday the 13th is straight up a holiday. I embrace it. Hell, I often watch a Friday the 13th marathon, watch Jason Voorhees do his thing to the unsuspecting people. Really, Friday the 13th is just like any other day, except for me, it's an excuse to have a scary movie marathon. Maybe sip on some pumpkin brewskis. (laughs) But for some, Friday the 13th can have a crippling effect. Many people won't even leave their homes, or some, in severe cases, won't even leave their beds, as in fear that even walking somewhere like the bathroom, they can get hurt. Others, they avoid the phone, (laughs) like the bubonic plague, as in fear that if they answer that phone, ring, 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 on Friday the 13th, Bad news is coming your way. Fear of the number 13 is called Triskaidekaphobia, while fear of Friday the 13th is Friga Triskaidekaphobia. (laughs) Wow. I don't know how they come up with these terms, these huge long names. Like the one that always cracked me up was the fear of long words. And I know I'm going to butcher this, but the fear of long words is called hippopato monstro sesquiped aliophobia. Like, holy shit, that's wild. (laughs) Anyways, so the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute, yes, that actually does exist. And it is located in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. Well, they conducted tests. And it's estimated that 17 to 21 million people in the United States alone are affected by Friday the 13th. Again, personally, I love Friday the 13th. Bring on the spookiness. Now, I'm sure there are businesses around the world that cringe, cringe when Friday the 13th creeps up. And no, it's not because they're terrified, paranoid, or superstitious. No. Do you want to talk about crippling? Financially, Friday the 13th sucks. An estimated $800 to $9 million is lost for businesses on Friday the 13th. That truly just goes to show how much So many people will go out of their way not to leave their safety blanket, their homes. These days, with all the online, you know, shopping or whatever, I don't know if those numbers are still accurate, but it's still pretty financially crippling for sure. Here are some facts for you, my friends. Alfred Hitchcock, he was born on Friday the 13th of August in 1899. 
considering who he was, it's pretty appropriate, right? The most Friday the 13th that can exist in a calendar year. One, two, three. Oh my God. Are you somebody who suffers from fear of Friday the 13th? Terrified? Keep an eye on the calendar, my friends, as if the month begins with a Sunday, you are guaranteed a Friday the 13th. Now, believe it or not, when it comes to the stock market, on most Friday the 13th, it actually rises. While usually 52%, it goes up 57%. But if it's Friday the 13th in October, hmm, hello, today, that is considered unlucky Fridays. In fact, on October 13th of 1989, the S&P saw a drop of 6.1%, still referred to this day as the mini crash. Now, during the 1930s and 1940s in French Lick, Indiana, every single black cat, feral or domestic, had a bell put around their neck so people could hear them coming and avoid them therefore avoiding bad luck. Now some poor unfortunate souls were unlucky enough to breathe their last final breath on a Friday the 13th, including America's first American daredevil celebrity, Sam Patch. He was better known as the Yankee Leaper. And a week before his death, he had successfully jumped off the 99-foot high falls in my mom's hometown of Rochester, New York. Well, a week later, on November 13th of 1829, he decided to leap from above the high falls from a stand that he had built that was 25 feet up from the falls. Now, this proved to be fatal. While this occurred in November, his body was actually not found until the following spring. He was completely frozen solid in a block of ice. Just a horrible way to go for anybody, especially for this daredevil. Giacchino Rossini, he was an Italian composer who dies from severe pneumonia on November 13th of 1868. 39 years to the day after our daredevil Sam Patch died. Author Henry Sutherland Edward says this about Rossini. Quote, He was surrounded to the last by admiring friends. And if it be true that, like as many Italians, he regarded Fridays as an unlucky day and 13 as an unlucky number. It is remarkable that one Friday, the 13th of November, he died, unquote. Sir Henry Seagrave, he was the first person to ever hold the land speed record and the water speed record simultaneously. Now, sadly, it was immediately after he accomplished this that he dies. He adventures on over to England to set the record on England's largest natural lake, Windermere. Now, it's June 13th, 1930. He is at Lake Windermere, and he beats the record. But he did not know this. 
So he attempts to try this again, unfortunately, but the boat on the second attempt, well, it hits a log and it quickly capsizes. The mechanic, Victor Hallowell, he dies instantly, making him yet another Friday the 13th death. Sir Henry, he's knocked out. Death is not instantaneous. He actually does wake up while at the hospital, mind you, where he is told, hey man, you beat the record. He then dies due to his injuries. No time to even celebrate his victory. <laughs> that really, really sucks. Mickey Spillaney, often known as the last of the gentleman gangsters, was murdered as he left his apartment in Queens, New York, back in May 13th of 1977. The murderer? Well, it's believed to be Jimmy Coonan. Christopher Bernard Wilder. He, let's just say he was not mourned in the slightest when he died April 13th of 1984. That sounds kind of harsh, right? Eh, perhaps not. He was sadly a vile excuse for a human being. Mm, scratch that. He wasn't even a human being. He was an absolute monster. He is the type of monster that mom and dad, they warn their kids about. Wilder, he was known as the beauty queen killer or the snapshot killer. He was a serial killer who had no problem in abducting, raping, and murdering at least, at least eight women. But the number is believed to be much higher than that. But he has at least confirmed eight murders that's connected to him. So there we go. He was born in Australia, but the killing spree, well, it was the United States. He conducts murders in Florida, Georgia, Texas, Utah, Kansas, and California. Now, during one of his crimes, he kidnaps this young girl in New York, but he decides, hey, I'm going to keep her alive. I want her to be an accomplice. I want her to help me get more victims. I mean, how sick is that? So with the help from this young girl who must have been absolutely terrified for her life, his hostage, he attacks and rapes a girl in New York and he leaves her for dead. He had tried suffocating her and he stabs her. It was really brutal and horrible. He was convinced, hey, this girl's dead and he leaves. What he didn't know is that she was still alive, barely, but she was still alive. And she is picked up by a long-haul driver. He goes back to the scene and is shocked. Utterly shocked. The girl's gone. Where the hell did she go? Well, a few days later, he stops in New Hampshire to ask somebody for directions to Canada. Almost made it. Two state troopers approach him, and he immediately goes to his car to retrieve his Colt Python three fifty seven Magnum. Now, there's a scuffle between lawmen and serial killer. Two shots, they are fired. Wilder, thankfully, he is hit and is killed. Hoo-hoo! Now, the first bullet, however, while it does hit its target, Wilder, it hits one of the state troopers as it exits through the serial killer's body. While he is seriously injured, he does, thankfully, recover from this, and he does return for full active duty.
Chesney Baker Jr. He was an extremely skilled and loved jazz musician who was a master with a trumpet, and some claimed that he had one of the most beautiful voices that they had ever heard. He sadly was deeply entrenched into the drug world and often found himself in trouble with the law. On May 13th of 1988 in Amsterdam, he's found on a street completely and utterly drugged out, out of his mind. His second story room was up above. He had suffered head wounds proving to be fatal. While his room is searched, they do find a great amount of both heroin and cocaine right by his bed. Was he so high out of his mind that he fell out the window? I mean, you never really know until it's investigated in those situations. Like it could have been an accident, suicide, or yeah, murder. His death, though, is ruled an accident. NASCAR driver Tony Roper, he's killed in a race at the Texas Motor Speedway, October 13th, 2000. Exactly 23 years ago today. And the last Friday the 13th death that I will talk about comes from Richard Zanuck. He was the co-producer of one of the classics. Da-da-da. I know, I butchered it. I'm no musician, folks. Jaws! Yahoo! I love that movie. He is in the bathtub in his home when he suffers a fatal heart attack. Now, not some great events have taken place throughout time on Friday the 13th. And I want to talk about just a handful of those right now. On October the 13th of 1307, 716 years exactly to the day, Philip V of France apprehends several hundred of Knights Templar. He is desperately trying to annihilate the order, and he happily tortures and murders them. Whew! Piusky, my friends. Desperation, it is quite the stinky-ass cologne. Philip himself would die young. Some may call that karma. 46 years old during a hunting trip in 1314. When he died, this led many to believe that he met this fate due to his involvement in the destruction of the hundreds of Templars. He suffers a stroke while hunting in the forest of Halate. Now, one may think that the family is actually cursed, and if they weren't, they sure as hell were after the Knights Templar Massacre. Every single one of Philip's sons, well, they never reproduce a male heir to carry on the throne. And soon enough, they all die. And guess what? By 1328, just 14 years after Philip's death, the male line is extinct. That's probably not a bad thing, especially if the sons were as bad like the father. Just saying. Now, in 1314, the same year that Philip suffers that deadly stroke, his daughter-in-laws, they are accused of having affairs. Talk about unlucky two floozies in the family. Now, while the princesses, they are imprisoned, they'd still live to see another day. Can't say the same for the two unlucky men who paid the ultimate price for those affairs with the married women. Their lives, they are tortured, flayed, and executed. 
picture it. It's September the 13th of 1940. Tensions there are extremely high as people are experiencing the Second World War. The German army had been attacking British soil. And the German blitz attacks, well, they're absolutely devastating. Now, on September 8th, a bomb falls onto the grounds of Buckingham Palace. And thankfully, guess what? It does not explode. Crisis averted. Or was it? Fast forward a week later. It is now Friday the 13th. It's a nice morning. King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, they're enjoying one another's company as usual as they sip on some tea when suddenly their peace, well, it is disturbed by an intense, loud, crash-like sound. What the bloody hell's going on? While the September 8th attack was not successful, on the 13th, a German raider successfully drops five high-explosive bombs onto Buckingham Palace. The Royal Chapel, the Inner Quadrangle, the Palace Gates, and the Victoria Memorial, they are all hit by bombs. While both king and queen are unharmed, thankfully, during this attack, unfortunately, four royal staff members are injured. One so severely that they do end up dying from their injuries. Now we find ourselves in New York City. We are in March 13th of 1964. Kitty Genovese was a beautiful 28-year-old woman who just got off her bartending shift at 2.30 in the morning. She is stuck at a traffic light on Hoover Avenue when she catches the eye of a deadly predator. Now, unbeknownst to her, this animal follows her back to her apartment and he's armed with a hunting knife. His intentions, they're anything but good. And he approaches the woman. Well, a chase does take place and he catches her before she could enter her apartment building. He stabs her twice and she begins screaming bloody murder. Oh my God, he stabbed me. Help me, please. Several people would hear this scream and her pleading for her life as she's being attacked by this monster. One neighbor yells at the attacker, leave that girl alone. As this happens, the man, who we now know was Winston Mosley, he runs away. Seeing that she was stabbed, she is very slow going understandably so, who wouldn't be, right? Not by choice, obviously. And it takes all of her effort in her body to begin to make the descent of getting away. It's like a scary movie. The assassin, Mosley, he comes back a few moments after he had run away. At this point, enough people know exactly what's going on. And yet, no help is on its way. The predator, he is searching. For his prey. And when he finally is successful in finding his victim, he sees her lying in the hallway in the building. From the looks of it, she had just gotten to a door. Don't know if it was her door or not, but it was locked. That obviously prevented her from entering and leaving her very much vulnerable and out in the open where her attacker and soon-to-be murderer can get to her. He stabs her several more times. While she lies there, dying, he rapes her. She had $49 on her. He swipes that away, then makes his escape. Now, apparently, one call made it to the police station from a man who had said that a woman was, quote, beat up, but got up and was staggering around, unquote. Help did eventually come, but it was too late. She dies while on the way to the hospital. Turns out Winston Mosley may have been a serial killer. 
He did not only admit to the murder of Kitty Genovese, but he also admitted to the murders of Annie Mae Johnson and Barbara Kralik, who was only 15 years old at the time of her brutal murder. Mosley shared that he had killed Barbara at her home the past summer and that he killed Annie by shooting her and then he burned her to death. To say that Winston Mosley was a coward and a monster is a huge understatement. Now, unfortunately, he lived until the tender age of 81 years old. He died in more recent years, 2016. He never showed remorse for Kitty, Barbara, or Annie's murders. While in prison, he proved to be a wild animal, participating in the Attica prison riot. You know, so Winston, he served 52 years in prison, making him one of the longest serving inmates in the New York State prison system. No easy feat. So back to Kitty Genovese, what happened to her was a crying shame, obviously. I mean, she died on the way to the hospital, right? This attack went on for 30 whole minutes, if not a little longer. And remember, he left. He was gone for about 10 minutes when she was still alive. If help came, she might possibly have had a chance, but we'll never know. Just the fact that there were so many witnesses to this heinous crime and nobody really did anything about it, it's haunting. Whenever people bring up Kitty Genovese, they usually bring up the number of people that kind of stood around and didn't really do anything. That number that I'm familiar with has always been 37, but it could possibly be much higher than that. Today, if you see somebody in distress, what do you do? 911, what's your emergency? Many including myself, well, we grab the phone. You dial 911. The phone's probably in your hand anyway these days, right? Or very close to you where you can easily just grab it. I've had to do it many times, whether it's to report a severely dangerous driver on the road or some other type of emergency. I won't hesitate. 911. Boom. Now, unfortunately, back then when Kitty Genovese was murdered, there was no such thing as 911 or dispatchers waiting on the other end anxiously. Now, in fact, just a few weeks ago, I had saved an article in my news app and wanted to read it later on, and it was about the birth of 911 and the murder of Kitty Genovese, the murderous straw that broke the camel's back. Quote, before the advent of 911, people had to make a direct call to local emergency services, a nearby police station, or a firehouse, most likely after sifting through the pages of the phone book, a large tome in major metropolitan areas. They might also dial zero for operator and ask to be connected to a local service. It was an ineffective system. It was often a deadly system. Kitty Genovese, 28, was attacked with a knife on the night of March 13, 1964. She bled to death in a stairwell of her queen's apartment. Police found that 38 people heard the woman cry for help, yet none apparently called emergency services, or those few who did manage to try to call were unable to reach police or got no responses. There was no direct number or other system in place for people to report an emergency. That outcry was intense, unquote. Now, believe it or not, it would still take four years after the murder of Kitty Genovese that fateful Friday the 13th night that 911 was created. And obviously, as we all know, it is still used today. And I love it. It doesn't matter what city or state you're in. 911 is all you need in the United States. 
Now we find ourselves in the eye of the great cyclone of 1970, taking place in present-day Bangladesh, November 13th of 1970. And to this day, it remains the most deadliest tropical cyclone ever recorded and one of the world's deadliest humanitarian disasters. Getting up to 115 miles per hour, it begins November 8th and it dissipates finally November 13th, causing $86.4 million worth of damages. Today, that's the same value as $680,956,701. Now, in the most affected areas, it said that over 45% of the population were killed by the storm. While the exact death toll is not known, at least 300,000 people died, but it could be as many as 500,000. Picture yourself going onto an airplane. People do it every single day. Countless people. You can travel several hundred miles in just a matter of a few short hours. While it takes me about 30 hours to travel close to 2,000 miles with really no stops and just gas, what have you. So when you get on a plane, you sit in your seat, you fasten your seatbelt, you take off into the friendly skies. You full-heartedly expect uh, when you're leaving point A that you're going to get to point B your destination. Well, one fateful day on October 13th of 1972, exactly 51 years ago today, Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571 takes off and it's headed right to its destination, Santiago, Chile. The plane, it crashes in the Andes Mountains and this event becomes known as the Andes Flight Disaster. It unfortunately was co-pilot error that proved to be fatal on board were 45 passengers and crew. Now three members and nine passengers, they do die instantly. But the death toll would rise. Because the Andes Mountains in October are basically a frigid, freezing atmosphere, several soon would die due to their injuries. There were many attempted search and rescues, planes going by through the area looking for the lost Air Force craft. But unfortunately, due to the heavy impact of snow, it went several times by the location, but never was seen. The snow did a bang-up job, if you will, at concealing the wreckage. And throughout 72 days, those who survived the initial crash had to deal with weather elements, starvation, of course. They even had to deal with an avalanche at some point. So 13 more people, they would die. And because starvation was a real true threat to the lives of the survivors, they did eventually have to resort to cannibalism. I know, I cringe when I hear that word. Cannibalism. Now finally, just two days before Christmas, not such a Merry Christmas, I suppose, in 1972, and over two months after the crash, the survivors, they are finally rescued. Now back to the whole starvation and ooh, cannibalism thing. It is said that they had very little food with them. Now, according to Wiki, they had eight chocolate bars, a tin of mussels, three small jars of jam, a little tin of almonds, a few dates, some candy, dried plums, and several bottles of vino, wine. And I believe some of this is lost during the crash of the impact, I would imagine, anyways. Now, unfortunately, where they were, there were no people around, no animals know nothing that they could try to hunt for food. And it's said that the food ran out within a week. Now desperate, the people, they start to eat parts from the plane. Now this unfortunately makes them just 
a hell of a lot sicker. It was agreed upon the survivors that if anybody died in the group, that the others would consume the body so they would not starve to death. And guess what? People, they begin to die, and they do just that. One of the survivors describes the situation, quote, Our common goal was to survive, but we lacked food. We had long since run out of the meager pickings we found on the plain, and there was no vegetation or animal life to be found. And after just a few days, we were feeling the sensation of our own bodies consuming themselves just to remain alive. And before long, we would become too weak to recover from starvation. We knew the answer, but it was too terrible to contemplate. The bodies of our friends and teammates, preserved outside in the snow and ice, contained vital, life-giving protein that could help us survive. But could we do it? For a long time, we agonized. I went out in the snow and prayed to God for guidance. Without his consent, I felt I would be violating the memory of my friends, that I would be stealing their souls. We wondered whether we were going mad, even to contemplate such a thing. How do we turn into brute savages? Or was this the only sane thing to do? Truly, we were pushing the limits of our fear. Unquote. Now, there were some people who just could not do it, and they did die from starvation. In others, they did attempt to eat the human flesh, but could not be successful in keeping it down. Now, you know, it's easy when you're not in a life or death situation, you know, when you're in the safety of your home, feet away from your refrigerator, just to say, oh, God, that's disgusting. And there's no doubt about it, it is disgusting. But if you were faced with that situation where you're going on two months with no help, and actually it was like 76 days, I think, so a lot longer than two months, and you're in the frigid Andes with no help in sight, and that is your only option, really, can you honestly say that you would not do it yourself? And I think it's a hard thing that unless you're in a situation like that, that you're not going to take it seriously. I know I wouldn't. I just honestly, I honestly really feel for all those people. First surviving the plane crash, right? That must have been absolutely terrifying all on its own. But it's not like you're crashing in the big city or even a tiny remote village where there's somebody that can get you help. You're on your own out there. Speaking of plane crashes, on the very same day that the Andes crash happened, that being October 13, 1972, a Russian airliner crash lands in Moscow, killing 174 people on board. Aeroflot Flight 217 leaves Paris with full intentions on arriving safely in Moscow, Russia. Now at the time, it is the world's deadliest civil aviation disaster. That would change when the Kano Air disaster takes place the following year in 1973, killing 176 people, two more than our Moscow flight. What's so truly sad about this event is that they had left Paris and they were so excruciatingly close to landing to their destination in Moscow. The cause of the crash, it was never determined. Oh 
And last but certainly not least on the list of events that I will talk about that occurred on Friday the 13th takes place on January 13th, 2012, when the Costa Concordia strikes a rock formation known as the Costa Concordia disaster. This event would claim the lives of 33 people and estimated damages $2 billion. Friday the 13th, you gotta love it or you gotta hate it. And most people, well, they fear it. Either way, it is something that people cannot avoid. It will continue happening every single year, sometimes three times, remember. For those who are terrified about it, I am truly sorry that you have to go through that. Just try to keep it in your head. It is just another day. I know that little speech did absolutely nothing. People who fear it will fear it for the rest of their lives. And that's okay. We all have our fears. We really do. I have mine. This bonus episode, special city shoutouts go to, and let's just say we're going to need passports wherever you are on the globe, Crestone, Colorado, Gurugram, India, Richmond Hill, Canada, Northport, Alabama, Vickersund, Norway, and Falkirk, Scotland. Thanks, everybody, and be sure to come back on Monday for the freshest of episodes. See you next week, and happy Friday the 13th, my friends.